today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. be very careful with some of the dreams and visions and things that you interpret in words of prophecy and make sure you pass it through the grid of God's word. And if any of it contradicts the word of God, reject it. Because this is the handbook, folks. So if somebody says something to you that contradicts scripture, don't accept it. And if you feel like you heard from the Lord, but then as you balance it with Scripture and you read through the Bible and, and, you, and you see what Scripture says, and if it says something other than what you dreamt or the vision that you had, then don't accept it. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. If you surf the web or scroll through the several Christian channels available through cable, you will be presented with many people claiming to have a message from the Lord. In today's important message, Pastor Gary admonishes us to be very diligent to compare any vision, dream, or message to the truth as outlined in Scripture. If what is being said or presented does not line up with God's Word, then it should be thrown out immediately. We should only listen to prophetic messages that are in line with the Bible and are confirmed through witnesses. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you could get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 2. So here in Acts chapter 2, we left off at the end of verse 13. Again, as I mentioned uh, last time, the reaction of the people who were passing by, uh, the people who overheard the 120 um, as they were worshiping and praising the Lord in various languages here. And at the end of the section, verses uh, 12 and 13, it said, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? That's sometimes the reaction when people are unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. But on the other hand, verse 13 says, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And that's also another reaction that we see today. Some people just simply because they don't understand or they don't accept or believe or for whatever reason, they will make fun of those who have received the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit. So uh, I'd rather that we were on the side of what does this mean than making fun of, uh, of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Well, verse 14 then says that then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, I find that humorous. I don't know about you because, you know, he's, he isn't saying to you, these guys aren't drunk. These are God-fearing Christian men here. No, he says they aren't drunk because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> 5 p.m. happy hour. Yeah, I think they're going to be a little plastered, but not now. It's only nine in the morning. No, he doesn't, he's not, he's not inferring that, but I just think it's funny because he only uses the time as the reason why they aren't drunk, not their character. But anyhow, 
um, he, he says they're not drunk. This is what the, the people assumed because they heard what sounded like confusion and babbling and, you know, this, this uh, what seemed to them just this nonsensical talk with everybody talking in different languages, you know, praising God. And, and so they accuse him of being drunk and Peter stands up and he says, these guys aren't drunk. Now, the rest of chapter, primarily, most of the rest of chapter 2 is, is Peter's sermon. He's going to get up here. He's, he's going to evangelize the people now who are curious about what they've overheard happening in this upper room with 120. Now, a question becomes, what language is Peter speaking here? This is where some people think that the gift of tongues is used to evangelize people. That is, that is not an example ever in Scripture. The gift of tongues is not used to evangelize people. That is not what, what Peter's doing here. Peter is speaking in a native language that they would all have understood, which in that day would have either been Aramaic, that they would have understood as their native uh, Hebrew tongue, uh, or it would have been Greek, which was the common man's language of the day. So we don't know which one it was, but it is clear that he is speaking a language that all of them can understand because you have here again 15 different countries represented, but they're all going to hear the message that Peter is going to bring to them. So he is speaking to them in the common man's language of the day. And he goes on to say, no, verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel the prophet Joel of our Old Testament. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2, and he says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Please highlight all people, because that's what distinguishes the giving of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts from the giving of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Again, the Holy Spirit is not suddenly this new creative phenomenon that happens in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and He has always coexisted, been co-equal and co-eternal with God. But he is now poured out upon all people. King James says all flesh, whereas in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only given upon assignment. You can see different people in the Old Testament that the Bible clearly says were filled with the Spirit. Samson, Moses, David, Saul. But those people were filled with the Spirit because God gave of the Spirit on assignment as he determined. Now, what, what Peter is saying to us is, as a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, that this day has come and still continues when those who believe in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior come into the family of God, receive the Holy Spirit by faith when you receive Christ, and then also can receive that fullness, that baptism work that is above and beyond the indwelling of the Spirit. So that's what distinguishes now the work of the Spirit here in the New Testament versus Old Testament. Because now, Holy Spirit is not just given on assignment. He is poured out upon all people, all flesh, as many as would believe and receive. And he goes on to quote from Joel chapter 2. Look at, look at it with me. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women... I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, just, just so that we're clear about these verses here, please note with me that he speaks here about prophecies and visions and dreams, but they must always be tested. Sometimes people will ask me, you know, again, do prophecies, is that gift still available? Does God still potentially speak to people through visions? Does he still potentially speak to people through dreams? And my answer is yes. I, again, I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe those things ended and, and you know, faded away with the apostles. Um, but having said that, we have to be careful that we test 
things that are prophetic, things that are visions, things that are dreams. Because not all of it is from God. Okay, not all of it is from the Lord. So we better know the difference. Um, Prophecies, by the way, sometimes we think of prophecy solely as foretelling, or rather, rather foretelling, like predicting the future. And a lot of times when you read the Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, um, these, these are people who, uh, Micah, Hosea, these are people in the Old Testament who were really more known for foretelling the Word of God rather than foretelling. They, they were not necessarily talking about future events. They were exhorting the people in their day with the Word of God for that hour. Now, yes, clearly there are, there are certain several passages that are prophetic in nature. And obviously a lot of the book of Daniel is prophetic in nature. That, that is to say, foretelling of events. Uh, but, but prophecy by itself is not always just like, you know, predicting the future. It, it is oftentimes more so seen in Scripture as foretelling, proclaiming, declaring the Word of God. So, yes, prophecies can still be given today, but they must always be tested. 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So 1 John 4, 1 warns us, listen, there's some false prophets out there. Just don't take everything hook, line, and sinker and think, well, because, you know, they are so-and-so prophetic ministry incorporated that you're supposed to just accept every word that comes out of their mouth. No. Test the Spirit. Test the Spirit. Test visions. Test dreams. How do we test it? Basically, these two ways. If it contradicts God's Word, reject it. And if it does not contradict God's Word, pray about it, because it may or may not be from the Lord. So just because something doesn't necessarily contradict the Word of God does not necessarily mean you should embrace it either. There there are some, you know, dreams and visions you might have and you wake up in the morning or, or, you know, after a dream and you might think to yourself, you know, that doesn't necessarily contradict the Word of God. But it may not be from the Lord either. It might have been Taco Bell. (laughs) I remember, you know, one night I had a dream. We were expecting our third child and... um, and after I woke up the next morning, I said to Terry, Terry, I have good news. We're going to have a girl. I had a dream. I had a dream that we were going to have a girl. Turns out we did actually have a girl. But I said to her, I said, but in the dream, I just want you to know that, that part of it, you know, expressed that it was going to be a girl. The other part you may not be happy about because it was a poodle. <laughs> I had a dream that my wife gave birth to a poodle. But she had a pink little bow in, her, in the top of her head. And so I said, I know it's going to be a girl. But, you know, I also can safely say it's not going to be a poodle. <laughs> now, that's not necessarily a dream from the Lord, though. Okay? It just so happened I had a dream about a poodle with a pink bow in her hair. Okay? That doesn't necessarily, oh, this is from the Lord. And so I'm just kidding with you when I said, hey, you know, we're going to have a, a girl. I mean, I told my wife the dream. But I wasn't, like, interpreting that as from the Lord. It was just something kind of peculiar. Turns out we did have a girl. But I'm not holding to that dream like it was a revelation of the gender of our child. Okay? So you have to be very careful with some of the dreams and visions and things that you interpret in words of prophecy. And make sure you pass it through the grid of God's word. And if any of it contradicts the word of God. Reject it. Because this is the handbook, folks. So if somebody says something to you that contradicts Scripture, don't accept it. And if you feel like you heard from the Lord, but then as you balance it with Scripture and you read through the Bible and you, and you see what Scripture says, and if it says something other than what you dreamt or the vision that you had, then don't accept it. 
Because there's a lot of visions and dreams and things that, that people have. It may not always be from the Lord. By the way, you know, notice young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Do you know why old men dream dreams? Because they sleep a lot. That's why they dream dreams. But, you know, I remember Daniel Messiah when he was here, um, and he's been here a couple of times. Daniel Messiah was Egyptian-born Muslim, and he's been here. He was here last or back in September. And I remember him telling me how his father, Daniel's father, came to faith because he had a vision of the Lord Jesus. And many Muslims, you can Google this, and you can see the statistics about how many Muslims are coming to faith in Christ because they're seeing visions of the Lord. And God can still operate this way through visions and through dreams. God can speak to people through dreams. But again, pray about it. Be cautious about things. Don't, don't just, you know, run full steam ahead uh, because you had a particular vision or dream. Pray through it. Discern it. Weigh it against the Word of God. Uh, maybe get confirmation. You know, sometimes one of the best ways to determine and test what is of the Lord is, is after you have passed it through the grid of God's Word, then just kind of wait without saying anything and see if someone else will come along and just say a little thing that confirms that to you. And, and therefore, then you can kind of test in, in the, with the safety and the multitude of counselors and, and, on, and on the testimony of two or three. But, um, but yes, God can still speak this way. And, and, and uh, Peter makes it clear. He says, look, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And in, my, and in the last days, we're living in the last days, we can safely say, I'll never put a date on the return of Christ, but I'll tell you this much, we're further to the return of Christ today than we were yesterday, amen? So, I mean, we're living in the last days. We're getting closer to the return of Christ. But, but he says, in the last days, these kind of things are going to happen, these supernatural things. But we have to be careful and measure it and weigh it because supernatural things are fascinating and we can get enamored with the fascination of something rather than weighing it carefully and making sure that it's from the Lord, praying about it. Waiting on the Lord. And then he says this in verse 19. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, Peter's quoting. That's all from Joel chapter 2. Now notice, between verses 19 and 20, what he begins to tell us is that, there, that, that verses 17 and 18 obviously will precede the events of verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20 describe events related to the tribulation. All this talk here about wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke, sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood... All of that has to do with the description of the, the time of the tribulation, which, which are seven years of tribulation that will come upon the earth before the coming of the Lord. And, and that's the sequence here, because uh, he gets through saying all these things, that the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now, by the way, again, notice, this is another reason why I think 1 Corinthians 13, when we talk about how the gifts ended, have they ceased with the completion of Scripture... No, I don't think 1 Corinthians 13.10 is a reference to the completion of Scripture. It's a reference to the perfected state of the saint in the presence of the Lord. And this is more evidence here in Acts chapter 2 why the gifts will continue. And that they didn't fade away at the completion of the canon of Scripture. Because all of these signs and wonders of prophecy, visions, and dreams, if you look at the context of all this, all of this continues right up until 
the tribulation time and the coming of the Lord. When the Lord comes, the gifts will cease. Until the Lord comes, the gifts are still in operation. Visions and dreams and prophecies, those didn't end. Because Joel clearly says here, and Peter's quoting it, that all these signs and wonders will carry on right up until the great and glorious day of the Lord and His return. Now, just to make sure that we're all on the same page here about, about these events, um, this is a blood moon picture. I mean, some of you have been really fascinated by this kind of thing. In September 27th, 28th of this year, there was this blood moon. Um, and, um, you know, it makes for interesting discussion. Those of you who are into, like, the discussion about the Shemitah and the blood moon and is this part of the return of the Lord. Um, I read, uh, if I can find it here, I read that... Um, in the uh, in the 21st century, they can already scientists can already you know plot these things out. So between 2001 and 2100, uh, there will be a total of eight what are called tetrads, which are total lunar eclipses. Uh, and so we just had one back in September 27, 28 of this year, and there are a lot of people who you know knowing this. This prophecy here, and I'm going to tie it together in Revelation chapter 6 in a minute. They're like, okay, the blood moon, maybe it's a sign of, of the coming of the Lord. Um, by the way, um, if we include all the centuries from the 1st century A.D. through the 21st century, there are a total of 62 total lunar eclipses so uh basically the lunar eclipse i mean I'm not, I'm not all that savvy scientifically but so you know just as studying up on it so you have the sun you have the earth and you have the moon and the earth separates the sun from the moon and and what happens is that um, when the earth overshadows the moon the light from the sun around the earth creates like this halo effect that projects onto the moon and the earth's atmosphere, you know, the particles in the atmosphere, then the sun, the particles then end up projecting red onto the moon. So it looks like a red moon or a blood moon. I'm sure those of you with scientific backgrounds can explain that much better than what I just did, but that's the layman's interpretation. And so some have looked at the blood moon and they thought, you know, maybe this is, this could be the great and coming day of the Lord. Um, it is tied into the coming of the Lord. But listen, the blood moon that is referred to here has to do with the tribulation period. And if you hold to the position as I do that the Bible teaches a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, we won't be here for the blood moon. We're going to be gone before the tribulation. This is part of the tribulation time. Uh, in your Bibles... Just so that we understand the context of what's happening here. Verse 20 uh, tells us that Jesus returns after the tribulation. And, and these signs happen before he returns. So in the margin of your Bible, you can uh, write down Revelation 6.12. Revelation 6.12. Uh, talk about the beginning of the tribulation period. And there are the opening of six Seals. They're like they're like scrolls that are sealed, and then and each seal is opened up as the scroll is unwound. And it talks about in Revelation chapter six the sixth seal that is opened uh, will be a time that universal disasters are unleashed upon the earth. If you if you look in Revelation chapter six. Um, the, the six seals go like this: Seal number one, Antichrist comes onto the world scene in this order. Antichrist comes into the world scene. Uh, seal number two, there's war that ensues on the earth. Seal number three, there's famine and economic collapse. 
Seal number four is the death of some unbelievers. Seal number five is the death of some believers who get martyred for their faith. And then seal number six is opened in Revelation 6.12. Listen to what it says. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Uh, In addition, back here in Acts chapter 2, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, I put the verses up there for you. Matthew 24, 29, Jesus said immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Luke 21, 25, Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. So what is being described back here in Acts 2 about the blood, moon, and, and, and the, the sun being turned to darkness fits right in with Revelation 6.12. And it's the opening of the sixth seal, which means this is the tribulation time. The church is taken from the earth before the tribulation. We will not be here to see the blood moon. So if you see other blood moons in the course of your life, I think the next one on the calendar is supposed to be like, like 2032, something like that. If you happen to see it, you know, don't be alarmed because the end is not here. If you're able to see it as a believer, at least, if you're still here and you're seeing the blood moon, there's something wrong. You need to get your life right with Christ. That's all I got to say to you. <laughs> And so these are these events. And then it talks about here, back here in Acts 2.20, that Jesus returns after the tribulation. It's a great and glorious day. And, verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There will be a time of great salvation. Zechariah chapter 12, the prophet Zechariah prophesies about the return of Christ. And he says in, in, in Zechariah 12.10, that God says, I will pour out on the house of David... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me, the one that they have pierced. This is Jesus talking prophetically through Zechariah. They will look on me, the one that they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Listen to what Zechariah says. He says that when Christ returns, that the survivors on earth at the end of the tribulation period particularly the Jews, Zechariah says, will look upon Jesus and they will see the marks of his crucifixion in his glorious body when he returns and they will weep and they will mourn because they will recognize and their eyes will be open and the light bulb will go off. This is the Christ that has always been talked about that we have rejected. And now, you see, because God pours out a spirit of grace and supplication among the survivors, many of them will turn to Christ and they will put their faith in him and it will be a great day of salvation. That's why Zechariah 13, 9, God says, and they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. So it will be a great day of of salvation for those who survive. Many of them will put their faith and trust in Christ. But many will, be, will die and be killed during the period of the tribulation period and will die and go to their graves defiantly rebellious against the Lord. And that will be tragic.
The book of Acts is so full of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the newly formed church. Though Jesus has left the earth for an unknown time, he didn't leave his followers alone. He gave them the same gift offered to us even now, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice of love as our only hope for salvation, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit to help us as we grow in faith. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit. We'd love to talk more with you about this. So please feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500. If you already know Jesus, we'd still love to hear from you and be able to encourage and pray for you. Our number again is 703-771-1500. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come get to know us better. Meet Pastor Gary, study the Bible, and spend time worshiping God for all he's done. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Join us next time to learn more about the early church in the book of Acts, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.